I have never known anybody who failed at love but succeeded in life. I have never known anybody who succeeded in love and failed at life. We need love to live. And every day, everybody you know faces life with eternity on the line. And life has a way of beating people down. And every single life needs a cheering section. And every life needs a shoulder to lean on once in a while. Every life needs a prayer to lift them up to God. Every life needs a hugger to wrap some arms around them sometimes. Every life needs to hear a voice saying, don't give up. Paul said, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. I'd like you more if you were more like me. I, I grew up that way. I was the first born in an Italian-American family, which means you are the king. You are the prime minister. You are the president. You are the pope, all wrapped up in one. And so Mary and Michael Mastro Simone had me in 1950, and there I am about 1961. Uh, I'm the guy with the mustache there with the kids. My brother Joe is on, the, is on your right there with the nose glasses. Apparently we use those a lot around the house. I don't know why. They're always glasses with the big nose on it. Uh, and then my sister Patrice has sunglasses on. She's smiling, looking right at you. That's how Patrice is, smiling, looking right at you. And then there's some neighborhood kids. But as the firstborn, I just thought, well, this is just normal. Everybody must think like I think. Everybody must want to do the things that I do. Everybody must want to believe the things that I believe. And so I tried to make Joe more like me. I tried to make Patrice more like me. I tried to make Francesca more like me. I tried to make my brother Mark, the youngest, more like me. You know, I think it's pretty good to be me. I'd like you more if you were like me. And I kind of grew up that way too. And then I was wearing a bow tie one day thinking, I would like you more if you were more like me. And then I sort of thought, you know, I kind of look like somebody, don't I? Don't I kind of look like somebody? Like this little bit of, little bit of, yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe, yes, no, take a look, you decide for yourselves. But it's, it's something I think we all struggle with. You know, I would like you more if you were more like we, me. And that's how I started off in life. That's what I was dedicated to. And then I got married. And then somebody very close to me said, mm-mm, that's just not how it is. That's just not how it works. And so you begin to have to look in a mirror and think about life in a very different way. In his book, I'd like you more if you were more like me, getting real about getting close, John Orper covers a lot of ground. It's different than a lot of his previous books. I, I found it to be more demanding. I found it to be more of a call to, to following God. Uh, not that his other books didn't do that, but there was just, there was just a different sense of a depth to it. And I think maybe since he's you know, gone down the road a couple decades now and he's matured 
He's, he was really, I started to say, what is he talking about? What's this book about? And I thought, I got it. He's telling me to look in a mirror. As a matter of fact, he's telling me to look in three different mirrors. And so I'd like to teach you today about these three mirrors that you need to look into if you're going to live a life that's more than I'd like you more if you were more like me. First mirror, mirror number one, is the mirror of your integrity. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 26. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do not merely listen and get deceived in and of yourself. Do what it says. And that seems simple. It seems easy, but it's not. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So James sets up this tension. He's saying you can look into the word and you can walk away and you, for, you can forget it. You just saw yourself and now you walk away and it just goes out of your head. Or you can look into God's word and suddenly realize that you have to live it out. You have to live it out very intently. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Now you should accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and I want everybody to have that moment in his or her life and, and if you have it today, if you say today is that day that I would like to, to do that, I've thought about it for a long time, you can join us for baptism in a couple weeks on the beach because you're going to make a public declaration about an inner experience that you've had with God and everybody should do that. And I did that in 1971. But once you do that, the moment that you do accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you are accepting a challenge of epic proportions. You have to look in the mirror and make a decision. So I did this chart. I drew this chart up. This is my hand-drawn chart. Uh, AJ did it more amazingly than I could have ever thought about it. This is actually going to the new Bible Museum, Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. next week. We're going to offer it to them. Uh, but it's, it's basically saying on the one side of the cross, you are just stuck. You're stuck in your sin. You're stuck in your own self-delusional way of thinking about who you are and what the world is and what the world owes you and all this. In Romans 3.23, it says that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then right away in Romans 3.24, it talks about grace. It talks about redemption. It talks about the free gift that you are given. And when Christ gave himself for you and for me and for all of us on a cross, he gave us a freedom that we could never have in and of ourselves. It's a freedom that government can't give you. It's a freedom that, that financial resources can't give you. It's a freedom that can only come from God through Jesus Christ. And then what happens 
is you can't stay there. Your life starts moving ahead and your life challenge becomes mirror one, which I just read to you in James chapter one, verses 22 through 26. You have to decide to live by this book. You have to decide to read this book and let it inform every single aspect of your life. And that's what's called integrity. You see, maturity is part of integrity. And your growing faith immaturity is part of integrity. You decide that I don't just read this and walk away and then go back to doing life the way I want to do it. I read this and I am driven to a place in the depths of my being where I go, how can I now live up to what God has called me to? How can I embrace those things in my life that God wants for me? Instead of turning away and saying, well, now I gotta get back to life as usual, you never turn away without thinking of the implications of what his word means in your life. And so this first mirror is a mirror of integrity. It's a mirror that says, now that I have accepted Jesus Christ, the challenge is to live in Christ and to allow him to live in and through me in every moment of every day. It's why being normal is an experience of faith and life always coming together. The first mirror to look into if you want to get beyond this it's all about me experience is the mirror of your integrity. The second mirror, I'd like you more, if you were more like me, the second mirror is called your hypocrisy. You have to look into the mirror of your hypocrisy. Second Samuel chapter 12, reading from the New American Standard Bible. Now the previous story here, of course, is David committing a sin with Bathsheba. And then to try to cover it all up, he has her husband sent to the front lines of battle after he goes through another attempt at a cover-up. He says, I got to get rid of this guy. Front lines of battle, he's killed. So one sin becomes another sin, and it just gets, gets increasingly bad. This is a terrible story. And so God asks Nathan to go to David. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. Rich man, many flocks and herds, poor man. One little lamb, this lamb. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. He would hold it close to his heart and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man. In those days, whenever a traveler came through, it was the, the Hebraic custom to extend great hospitality. So a traveler comes along to the rich man. He has to extend hospitality. And he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd. In other words, he wasn't going to prepare supper from any of his own resources to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. It's an awful story. 
Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. And a great wave of guilt just washed over David and he became fully cognizant of his hypocrisy. Verse 13 It reads, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He realizes that what he really believes, what he thinks he really believes, he didn't believe. The way he thought about others needing to be treated, he didn't do that himself. He saw in this mirror of hypocrisy what he really looked like. Thousands of years later, switchfoot, writes this song, Thrive, that was presented to you this morning. And it's talking about the same thing. Been fighting things that I can't see in, like voices coming from the inside of me and like doing things I find hard to believe in. Am I myself or am I dreaming? No, I'm not all right. I know that I'm not all right. I know that I'm not right. A steering wheel don't mean you can drive A warm body don't mean I'm alive. No, I'm not all right. I know that I'm not right. It feels like I travel, but I never arrive. I want to thrive, not just survive. I try and hide it and not let it show. But deep down inside me, I just don't know. Am I a man when I feel like a hoax? The stranger in the, in the mirror is wearing my clothes. The stranger in the mirror is wearing my clothes. And so David looks into his mirror of hypocrisy and he sees someone and it's, it's like a stranger, but he's wearing David's clothes. And when you look into the, the mirror of hypocrisy, it's a difficult place to be. You know, when you look into the mirror of integrity, there's, there's more challenge and there's more excitement and there's this growing motivation. You get to become what God wants you to become. Now you, you have wanted to become what God has wanted you to become. And you have fallen down. And you think, who is this that I am looking at? And it happens all around us all the time. We read it. In the newspaper, we see it in the news. We experience it in the, in the neighborhood in which we live. And sometimes we look in the mirror and we go, who is that? The stranger in the mirror is wearing my clothes. It's not what I wanted to say, and yet I said it. It's not what I wanted to do. It's not where I wanted to go with my life. And then suddenly, I'm there. West Stafford. President Emeritus of Compassion International once said that we should all make a 30-minute appointment with ourselves. We should all make a 30-minute appointment with ourselves, look in a mirror and ask ourselves four questions. Who is this person? 
What do you believe in? What do you really believe in? Where are you going? If you continue what you're doing, where are you going? And what are you doing? What are you doing with the decisions that you're making? How are they adding up? Not only should this 30-minute appointment be with yourself, but if you really want it to work to its maximum potential, you should invite somebody who really loves you, who really loves you no matter what happens. And you should say, will you be a mirror for me today and answer some questions with me and for me and, and help me? Who am I? As you look at me, who am I? And what do you think I believe in? By watching my life, what does it look like I believe in? And where does it look like I'm going with all these decisions that are piling up? And what is the ultimate result? Where is the end game for my life? What does that finally compute to? And when you have somebody who really loves you, help you to see this, you look in the mirror and the things that you're wearing a mask about, because hypocrisy literally means to wear a mask, to cover up. The things that you're covering up, this person will help you uncover. The things that you are questioning, even about your own decision-making, or maybe it's a value that's kind of hanging in the balance. You know, yeah, maybe, sort of, kind of. You don't want to end up in a David situation where he gets told, you are the man. You want to end up looking in the mirror of hypocrisy. And we can all do that. Every one of us can do that. And you want to come away saying, I want to make the change. I want to live the life. I want to honor the one who gave his life for me. You've got a mirror that's called integrity that you have to look at and look into. You have a mirror that's called hypocrisy. It's a tough mirror to look into, but you have to do that. And you, and you have a third mirror to look into. I would like you more if you were more like me. Mirror three is called the irreducible core. The irreducible core. John Orberg, in a small section of his book, talks about technology because it's so much a part of all of our lives. And he talks about how it kind of woos us away from life. And in any given moment, we could be distracted by technology. And so he asked some, some questions. Number one, do you sleep with your cell phone on your nightstand or in your bed? Number two, do your friends and family complain about your attending to a screen too much? Number three, do you check your phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night? I thought that was normal, honestly. Do you check your phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night? Number four, do you feel bummed when you forget to bring your cell phone to the bathroom? That would be a sign. That would be a sign of a problem. And then finally, this is his question. It's in the book. Do you check your cell phone during sermons? Do you check your cell phone during sermons? sermons. He put it in there. I didn't. I just read it. I just read it because it's in the book. I would like you more, if you were more like me, mirror three is the irreducible core. And what he offers is one verse, and it's a beautiful, beautiful verse. Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. This is, if not the entire 
irreducible core. This is a big chunk of it, my friends. Be still and know that I am God. And sometimes I'm trying to figure things out and I'm trying to make a strategic decision and I, my wheels start to spin and I get to a point where I go, it's now too much about me and not enough about you. I'm just gonna be still and listen for your answer through your whisper to my heart. Sometimes I get, I get worried about being here on a Sunday morning and I'm thinking, I could say this and what about this? And, and, and then I get to a point and I go, God, I know that you know what you want me to say and let me just be still and let me hear what you want me to say. And every time I get to that irreducible core of who I am, it's like looking in a mirror to know the truth, to know what God is doing in me and through me and what God wants to accomplish by doing his will on earth as it is in heaven. And John did a really interesting thing with this verse. I'm gonna share it with you now. He said, take away one or two words from each line and just look at it. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. And it just brings it all down to the irreducible core. Look in that mirror. The person who coined the term irreducible core was Tony Blair. And he did it at a leadership summit maybe 10 years ago. He was uh, just coming out of being the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. He served in that capacity from 1997 to 2007. And after he left being Prime Minister of Great Britain, he started the Tony Blair Faith Foundation. Because to him, the irreducible core had everything to do with bringing real faith and real life together all the time. Being normal for Tony Blair was the irreducible core of being still and knowing that God is God all the time in your life. Tim Keller explains that there are two ways to control God. And one way you're gonna easily understand. It's that you control God by saying, I don't need you, I don't want you, stay out of my life, I don't need your help. You stay there, I'll stay here. I'm not even sure you're there. And so you become very morally moving away from God and the things of God and the, and the ways of God. It's your moral imperative to be your own person over and above any idea of God that could invade your life. And then Tim Keller says, and the other way that you move away from God is by being totally morally good, totally morally good to the extent that you think God now owes you something because you just do stuff for him all the time. And that's what Jesus confronted when he was here. He was confronted by those who thought that they were so morally good that they could control the world around them. And neither one works, my friends. Neither one works. And Keller says there's a third way. And that way is right in the middle. And that way, I think, is the way of these mirrors. 
the mirror of integrity, the mirror of, of hypocrisy, the mirror of the irreducible core. It's understanding what God did for you was something you could never, ever do for yourself. And he gave you out of his grace, out of his abundant love, eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. You didn't deserve it, but you received it as a free gift. And so now you humbly, with integrity, with being willing to look at your own hypocrisy, with being willing to have him as the irreducible core of your life, you humbly say, God, today, in this day, may you fulfill your will in me and through me. May I fulfill your will on earth as it is in heaven. That's the only way that I can ever, ever thank you. You should accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And I want you to do that. But remember, the moment you accept him, you also accept a challenge of epic proportions. You will have to look into three mirrors for the rest of your life. But if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to look in the mirror of integrity, if you're willing to, to look intently into the mirror of hypocrisy, if you're willing to, to contemplate the mirror of the irreducible core, then you will have the life of Christ alive in you all the time. And that's all we could ever hope for. It's the reason he came into the world. It's not about me, and it's not about me liking you because you're more like me. It's always, always, always been about looking into these mirrors. That's the only way we get real about getting close. And so for a benediction today, I'd like John Orberg to close us out. I have never known anybody who failed at love but succeeded in life. I have never known anybody who succeeded in love but failed at life. We need love to live. And every day, everybody you know faces life with eternity on the line. And life has a way of beating people down. And every, every single life needs a cheering section. Every life needs a shoulder to lean on once in a while. Every life needs a prayer to lift them up to God. Every life needs a hugger to wrap some arms around them sometimes. Every life needs to hear a voice saying, don't give up. Paul said, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Don't give up. Take some time this week. Make some room to look in the mirror of integrity, to look in the mirror of hypocrisy to look in the mirror of the irreducible core, and you'll know who you really are. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray your great blessing upon these men and women here today, upon these young men and these young women. Father, give us the courage to always look in these mirrors. Give us the strength for the journey of life that tries to beat us down sometimes. Father, allow us to be your church, the hope of the world, the light of the world. We pray in Jesus' name.